I, um, I think to a moment in, in the history of Israel that is particularly luminous to me. And I, I guess my, my imagination fills in the picture, although I don't um, have anything but the clues of the scriptural pages to go on, but I sort of I picture this moment in, in the interaction between um, Moses, who is the shepherd of the children of Israel at this point, and, and the people who were gathered around him. You need to understand that um, the backstory to this particular moment is that uh, the nation of Israel has been on a long and colorful and challenging kind of journey. Uh, they had left behind a, a way of life. They had been, uh, for a very long uh, period in history, they had been uh, deeply embedded in the life of the nation of Egypt. Uh, the, this had been uh, a time of bondage and slavery and suffering on one level, but it, there had also been earlier years of joy and fruitfulness. And even during the hard periods of life, you can count on the fact that there was family relationship and there were friendships. And it was a known way of life. And then God had brought them up and out of that known season of life and taken them on a great journey. And the journey took them through a wilderness. And the wilderness was a challenging place that had very dry places and, and attacks from enemies and, and moments of, of exhaustion, even as it also had times that were uh, full of celebration and, and shared life and new discovery and, and learning. And the, and the people of Israel have gone through this kind of variating terrain for uh, decades now, and, and they find themselves suddenly standing at a transition moment. They're at the very edge of the Jordan River, about to enter into what we now call the promised land. And, uh, and it's at that moment that Moses chooses to have a, a very deep conversation with the people. Moses knows something that, that they're only beginning to discern, and that is that he's not going over the river with them. This is, this is the close for him. Joshua is going to take the people from here on out. And he's prepared Joshua for this, Moses has. And, and, and he's filled with emotion because he knows that um, he wants the people to prosper in this next season, and he's not going to be around to be the guide for that. I, I will say parenthetically, this is not the announcement of my retirement. <laughs> Disappointing to some of you, I know. But Moses... Um, as we tend to do, you know, when the kids are going off to college or where they're embarking on the marriage journey or maybe sometimes when they're going off to preschool even, um, you know, we, we tend to sort of pull together some of the most important thoughts and we try and pass those on. And so we find the, the things that Moses says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapters 6 through 11. And there's a, just a lot of rich reflection in that uh, part of the scriptures. Uh, but let me just key in on two verses that Moses shares with the people, because I think they've got some relevance for us today. And the first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. He says this, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. I, I love that verse. Because I think what Moses is trying to say there is, know that the person that you occasionally mention and reference 
in your life, the Lord God, is actually God. You know, not just applying for the job. The Lord of all. You know, the, the ultimate one, the, 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 the power of life, the hope of everything, the source of all. He is truly God. The most important thing I can say to you, he's trying to say, as you go forward in the future, is remember you're going with God. You know, not just with a religion, not just with a tradition. You're going with the living God. And then Moses goes on and says, and he is the faithful God. This is the most important characteristic I want you to know about God, says Moses, is he's so faithful. And and what does that faithfulness look like? He keeps his covenant of love, says Moses. The most important thing you need to know about God is that he is faithfully loving. His heart for people is a heart of love. His heart for you is a heart of love. It won't always feel that way. And those of us who are parents know there's sometimes our kids, you know, we're doing things with our kids, as simple as saying, it's bedtime, and they don't feel that that's loving. <laughs> right? Or when we say no to certain things, they don't feel that that's loving. But we know. Yeah, this is what love does. Love blesses in all kinds of ways that are not always experienced as blessings in the moment. But your God, says Moses, he's faithful and he keeps his covenant of love, not just to you, but to thousands of generations, he says. God's always looking down through history at the coming generations. He's plotting the vector of circumstances in the here and now. He's bringing things together in such a way, not just for you, but for the generations that will follow you. So so take your own life seriously, but remember it's part of a bigger stream. And, And trust that mysteriously it's being worked together. For good. And this faithfulness and this love that works itself to the generations are particularly geared towards those who love him and who keep his commandments. And this is really an important idea because Jesus will then hit this one in the New Testament. He'll repeat this in, in slightly different words in the New Testament. And he'll say that if you really love me, you keep my commandments. That it's impossible to say we love God without also keeping his commandments. It's a little bit like if my wife asks me to do something and I says, no, I'm not going to do that, but I really love you. And she goes, oh, really? It doesn't feel like you're loving me because I really would like you to move in this direction. And in the same way, God seeks to, to invite us to move in in particular directions as, as an expression of the love that we have for him. And ironically, it's the commandments he gives us are for our sake and for the sake of the other people that our lives influence. So, so Moses gives this counsel about the nature of God, the way of God, the importance of, of following this God. And then he says... Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. 
At our church's annual meeting this uh, past March, I was standing right here in this place, and I took a moment to share with the much smaller group of people that were gathered. You know, people don't always like to come to business meetings for churches. I get that. So I shared some thoughts with, with people, a moment of personal privilege, and instead of just looking back on the last year, I actually looked back at 25 years. And after the meeting, a number of people came up to me and said, you know, gosh, you ought to really find a way to share some of that with a broader part of our church than, than, than heard that tonight. Uh, everybody needs to know, somebody said to me in effect, everybody needs to know how faithful God has been in the life of this community for all of these years. And I thought about that, and I, and I thought, gosh, is that really, is that something that would be useful? And it struck me that maybe it might be useful, because not everybody has been around Christ Church for 25 years to see what God has done during this time. And, and, and furthermore, even some people that have been here a whole lot longer than 25 years, uh, and I just came from our first service where there were a lot of people who have been here, you know, 50 years and, and almost 60 years in the life of our church family. And, and they will frankly confess, you know, we don't think a lot about what happened in the landscape behind us. We're so busy trying not to stub our toe and fall into the ravine in front of us, right? These are crazy times we're living through, and so we're, we tend to be looking this way. Um, and yet, I would also recognize for some of you who walked in here today for the first time or tuning in online for the first time, probably the last thing that you came here for was to be dragged on some kind of nostalgic tour of a church, because you've got real life things going on for you. You're thinking about today. Will I get through the challenges of today? How, how will I get through those challenges? Where am I going to find the wisdom or the, or the strength or the resources that I need to just handle what's coming at me? I know tomorrow. I understand that. I get that. This is what this church delights in pursuing together is, is God's help and, and the community's help in dealing with the, with the pressing issues of now and of, of tomorrow. And so I'm hoping that in spite of the fact that I am going to take you on a little bit of a retrospective, you're going to find some help in this. In fact, sometimes I think that to go forward with real courage and clarity, it helps to look back. And this really was something of what Moses was trying to say to the people of Israel at this moment. He was basically saying, remember the God who got you here. Remember how faithful he is and to be faithful to him. And if you will put your trust in him, if you will seek to faithfully pursue his pathway in life, the future's gonna be okay. The future's gonna be more than okay. One of my favorite authors of, of, of recent decades uh, has been Eugene Peterson. He is the guy credited with translating the Bible into the contemporary language that we call the message. And, um, and, and he borrowed from uh, the philosopher Nietzsche at one point and said that everything worthwhile in life comes from pursuing a long obedience in the same direction. Everything really good consists of a long, comes from, as fruit from a long obedience in the same direction. Think about that. 
You know, some of you are musicians. You know, the musicians we just heard a moment ago, they're able to play the way they do or sing the way they do because they have been at this faithfully, practicing, leaning into it over a long period of time. You know, um, marriages work like this. Friendships work like this. Uh, parenting, all of these things, they, they require this long obedience, this, this living into the commandments in a sense, living into the best practices over a long period of time. And it's amazing what God will do. And this is probably the big thing that's hitting me at 25-year mark, is it's amazing to think of the things God does just through a long obedience, just through showing up. Some of you are in a place right now where you're thinking to yourself, hey, it's not going so well. It's not going so well. And there are times when you do need to make radical changes and you need to shift locations. So don't, don't see this as me being legalistic. But it's just possible what God has in mind for you right now is the start of an even more purposeful obedience of faithfulness like he shows towards people. And you may be surprised what fruit he bears over the years if you stay faithful. You know, the date of that annual meeting that um, we held this past year was, was a significant one personally for me because it was the 8th of March, which was exactly... 25 years to the day that I first spoke as the senior pastor of Christ Church to a gathering here. I had had to speak here once before. I spoke in, the, in September, I think, uh, or October of, of 1996 here. I had to give a candidating sermon in front of the whole church. I did, in fact, I had to preach two or three times, and then they voted on me. I remember that day really significantly because I was driving over to the church. I came down 31st Street, and I pulled the car over about halfway down 31st Street, and I stepped out, and I threw up in the, in the gutter. <laughs> Seriously. In fact, I would just like that. Is our operations crew, have you cleaned that up yet? It's just, so I mean, I was petrified. I was just petrified. And, um, and here I was now, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the new senior pastor, and I'm invited to an event to speak. And it's before I've, I'm, I've preached to everybody, I get invited to speak to the men's retreat of, of Christ Church. A couple of hundred guys have, have pulled together for this. And... Um, I went back recently and I pulled out the notes from my talk that day. And I began the talk by uh, telling the story of a pastor who, who was invited up onto the roof of the building that had just been re-roofed by the roofer himself to inspect the repairs. And um, uh, the roofer, who was not a religious guy, um, saw that the pastor apparently had a fear of heights. And he was just really jittery and really nervous. And the roofer thought this was an opportunity to kind of give him a jab. And he sort of said, hey, pastor, I thought you're a man of faith. I thought you believed God was with you everywhere you go. And the pastor said, kind of trembling, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe God said that. And, and, and the roofer said, really? And the pastor says, yes, it says in the Bible, lo, I will be with you always. <laughs> It's what Jesus promised. And I told the guys at the men's retreat that I felt like that was a really apropos story because I found myself in that moment stepping up to the lofty heights of Christ Church's ministry and the amazing people that fill the life of this community of faith. 
Um, and I still feel that, you know? I still feel a sober sense. I feel nervous when I get up to talk with you because, I'm, I, I mean, I know what an incredible people you are. I know how thoughtful you are. I know how uh, educated some of you are. I know how, how experienced you are. I know how significant are the burdens and weights that you carry in this life. And it's a humbling thing every time I have an opportunity to address any of you. Um, and, I, and it's a nervousness I hope I never <laughs> let go of because I think it's appropriate to the significance of what it is we do when we handle God's word together and reflect on it. I also shared on that day at the men's retreat that I had friends who thought that anybody that was stupid enough to follow a 32-year founding pastor without an interim period had already fallen off the roof and hit his head. It was just like clear that that was the case. And I will say that over the past quarter century, it has, it has never been my aim to ever try and fill the shoes of the founding pastor of Christ Church, Dr. Arthur DeCryder. I wish some of you had, some of you did know him. You had the privilege of knowing the remarkable man, the stately grace, the brilliant mind, the throbbing heart of Art and Gladys DeCryder, uh, the founders of this, of this church's life. And, it, and I... Not, a, not very much time ever goes by without my thinking about them and my wondering. I hope they're pleased. They're both watching from the balcony of heaven now. I hope they're pleased with how the Lord is still at work in the life of this, this church. I've not tried to fill the shoes of Dr. Crider. I never could. I never could. But I have thought a lot about trying to make sure that my shoes are pointed in the same direction his were. You know, to, to point it in following after Jesus in pursuing the kingdom of God, of not getting overly caught up with institutional church, and that was one of his great values. The church is a servant of the kingdom. Jesus didn't come to establish the church for the church. He came to establish the church for the world, for the work he wanted to do in the world. And I, I've tried to stay on that same course. And along the way, God has definitely been with us on the roof. He's been with us in the high places, and if you've not been uh, here for very long, um, let me tell you, there have been some amazing high places, these, these wonderful, fruitful things that have happened over these last 25 years. Since that day in March of 1997, we've become a fully intergenerational church again. Christ Church started out as, as a very intergenerational church. But there are life cycles to things. And I would say that by 1997, we were not that anymore. We are that today. We've got as many young people today as we've got older people. And it is great news because if you look around the American landscape, it's hard to find churches like that today. It's really difficult. Our, high, our, our student ministries alone, every single week, are touching the lives of of the equivalent of five times the, size, the number of people as the average American church does. I mean, not just touching kids. The average American church, with all of its people counted, doesn't even reach the number of kids we get to gather and disciple every week in the life of Christ Church at our two campuses. Um, and that's not just the only thing, because our church is part of a movement nationwide that's, that's seeking to, to minister and leverage the amazing capacities of young people. 
Uh, we support uh, Fuller Theological Seminary out in, in, based out in Pasadena, California. I serve as the chair of the board of that institution. And one of the initiatives that we're part of there and our church is helping to fund is called the 10 by 10 Initiative. And it's a, it's a collaboration between uh, churches and, and youth ministry organizations across America that is seeking to, um, to leverage uh, to, uh, 10 million kids over the next 10 years uh, into Christian leadership. Uh, it's, it's seeking to help churches not just retain kids, but, but leverage the amazing power of young people. Uh, and, and we have gatherings here in this building, actually, um, on a regular basis of, of area leaders of, of this movement just happening in greater Chicagoland. But it's a nationwide movement. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing that God has done. In the last 25 years, we have seen thousands of people come to faith and become involved in circles of discipleship and community uh, that, that are all over the life of this church, classes and groups of various kinds. And if you're missing involvement in some circle, if church for you is mainly the big group gathering or something that you do at home, I would just urge you, Ask for some help from us. We will get you into something uh, that's a smaller circle of faith where church really lives and changes life for good. Um, because that is, a, that, and that has, that multiplication of those kinds of circles has been one of the things God has done. Uh, you might not know this, but um, worship services like the one that you're a part of didn't exist in 1997. We, we were... We had one form of worship in the life of Christ Church. It was a beautiful, magnificent, classic form of worship. There was no contemporary worship. And over the years, we've added these services that have become important places of of meeting God and growing in the faith uh, for so many, many people while keeping the traditional side of the house going strong. This is rare in America that there's a church that has both of these amazing things going on. I remember in the early days, I would say even for the first 10 years at Christ Church, when I was introducing some of the, the new forms of worship and partnering with others to build those kinds of services, um, I had a, a, a very strong group of people that were absolutely convinced this was just a prelude to my abolishing traditional worship. I could not convince them otherwise. Um, but we're still going strong on both of these sides, and this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if you've not experienced the traditional classic side of the house, try that sometime. You, you might be amazed at, at how God meets you in that environment, uh, too. We've kept pace over the years with changing communication standards. Um, one of the six original values of Christ Church is that we will stay current with communication standards and use it for God's purposes. That was one of the values Dr. DeCryder had. And we tried to keep true to that. I remember vividly being part of a, um, a media ministry team meeting in my first year or two. And this was a group of people that helped oversee our television and radio ministry. And for my first 20 years here, we broadcast on WGN, on Fox TV, and, and, um, and other outlets uh, until the internet sort of gave us another portal and we shifted our resources. But um, back in, in 1998, I guess, I, I went to the media committee meeting and I pulled out of my pocket a monochrome Palm Pilot. Any of you remember those? And for some of you, you don't know what that is. 
go to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. <laughs> right? So I held this little device up, and I said, someday, this is going to be in color. And you're going to be able to watch video on it. And people commuting to work uh, in Chicago are going to be able to attend the Bible study they missed during the week. And people on vacation in Cabo are going to be able to attend worship services on it. And one of the members of the media team resigned that day, convinced the senior pastor was crazy. The new guy was crazy. We tried to stay current with, with, with what God was doing in the culture and the technologies being expanded. And we've worked hard to be part of that digital uh, revolution. And, and if you have not downloaded the Christ Church Connect app, please do that. It's available at any one of your app stores because this is just our next iteration, our next effort in this direction. We're thinking about the metaverse. What does that mean? For, for the church and its witness? And how do we, what, is there a need to get a place in that environment and speak to and relate to the people for whom that is increasingly kind of their world? We've seen over the last 25 years a dramatic expansion in the role of women as well as men in the life of our church. From our founding, we've always had great male leadership at this church. In 1997, when Amy and I arrived, we had a small handful of female elders, we had no female trustees, no female pastors, no female preachers, and we have come a long way, baby. We have come a long way. And, and I hope that you've seen the impact of this. I hope you've seen the, the, the goodness of having all of us using our gifts together uh, to honor God's good purposes. Um, I will say that, in it, that we live in an era where clergy typically stay, the studies say, clergy typically stay three years in a church and then move on. That's the average across America. Christ Church has, has, has had this weird thing going where we have these unusually long relationships that happen with, with clergy. You know, two senior pastors over more than 55 years. Very, very unusual. We regularly see staff who stay 10, 15, 20 now, 25 years, and, and, and that kind of, again, the long obedience thing, that's hugely important because, you know, and you know this in your own life, you need to stay someplace long enough to make lots of mistakes and have to be accountable for them. Why? Because then what happens? You learn, right, you change, you, you know, if you don't stay, and you build trust with people, you get to know people, they get to know your heart. And so this has been a church that's had the blessing of that kind of long leadership in multiple staff people. There have been a lot of changes in the program of the church over the years. We've, we've mourned the sunset of, of many wonderful expressions of the church's life. You, some of you never heard of the Friday Evening Club, but it was an institution around here. We had a ministry called Ascend that was a singles ministry. It was the largest singles ministry in all of Chicagoland. We had 600 singles here. On, a, on, a, on Wednesday nights during the summertime. And when leadership changed there, eventually that 
it sort of its time changed. And it was a loss to a lot of us in a lot of ways. But many of the best leaders of our church are here today because, and I've talked to a few of them already this morning, who, who came to faith through the ministry of Ascend and now serving in other ways. We've birthed all kinds of new ministries over these years as well. God has done some amazing things. Uh, Spirit Village was one of the new, the new ministries of this time. The Ask Ministry that provides service to older adults, uh, to thousands of people now. The Greenhouse, Rooted Groups, Resilient, our com- uh, community ministry in the uh, under-resourced area around us. These are just a few of the ministries that have emerged that God has brought forth in these last years. God has enabled us through this time to renovate our ministry facilities pretty dramatically. Uh, we've actually expanded our facilities, as you, many of you know, and, it, and this has happened through miracles of generosity through the life of the church. I mean, it's been you who made that possible for us to keep uh, the platform from which we do our work um, going strong. We have been able to go from one campus to two campuses. And again, if you haven't vid- visited our Butterfield campus on a Sunday morning out in Lombard, Make that something you do in the next month or two months uh, and, and, and see what God is doing there because this is also a cherished part of our community. We have seen our domestic mission impact rise nearly to the level of our global mission influence. And over the last 25 years, we have invested together, get ready for this, $38 million beyond the building. And that's in ministries that are making disciples and and multiplying churches, uh, relieving suffering, lifting women and children, transforming communities, developing leaders. Uh, We have been a force for good as a church by God's grace. Um, You know, they'll do a Hollywood fundraiser and they'll raise a million dollars for something, right? And they'll be on front page news all over the television. $38 million you have poured out to, to serve and represent the heart of God in the world over these years. Uh, It's been amazing to watch it happen. I'm really grateful that over the past 25 years, we have gotten to see the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the White Sox, the Cubs, the Sky, and the Fire all win national championships. Wow, right? And then we have the Bears who just keep us so prayerful and so humble. So our God has led us over this quarter century to so many mountaintops and to such great places. Um, He's been with us in the high places. But what I want to share with you before letting you go is it's, it's when we've been low that we've especially felt the Lord with us always. It's, it's when we've been low. Um, I don't know if you remember um, 1998 when when the news broke that um, the President of the United States had had an affair with an intern in the Oval Office. And the way that that sort of became the buzz and the conversation and and shook people uh, in terms of their sense of what our institutions are all about, obviously it wasn't the first time we'd had challenges like that, but. It sure was a big moment in America at that particular time. You know, we we just happened to be in the middle of a series of sermons on character. Just happened, how important character is 
And, and that national event sort of came together with that, and, and I think we saw attendance spike up during those weeks. So everybody was thinking about the subject of character and what does that really mean and look like. Uh, how many of you can flash back to the turn of the millennium and the panic over Y2K? You remember that? The whole world was going to shut down. It was going to be the apocalypse. It might be that Jesus would come again on, on, on January 1st. I mean, it was that, that's how much further, fervor there was. We were in the middle of a year-long series called God's Word for the End of an Age. And it, we, I preached a, a series that started, uh, that went cover to cover through the book of Revelation at that time. I, I sometimes think I ought to bring that one back. That was a... It was an intriguing conversation. Um, do you remember that Tuesday morning in 2001 when the planes crashed? And, uh, and 3,000 precious souls were lost. And history changed. Culture changed. Airports changed. Everything changed in America. Um, Christ Church became the, the, the epicenter for Chicago's processing of that moment because we had a pastor on our staff, Jeff Maladnik, that was in the first plane that hit the tower. And I'd had lunch with, and several, several of us had lunch with Jeff the Saturday before that. And um, I'll never forget that morning. I'll never forget um, watching the video. And my, Amy said to me, you've got to turn on the TV. And I, I, we all flooded into the fellowship hall and watched the events as you did from some location and were so ravished by it. And then I watched as um, strangers began to pull off the road from the street as they were going and into our parking lot and stream into our sanctuary, weeping and just looking for something. And, um, and how our church became one of those places that people could come uh, to, to find community, to find perspective in these difficult times. Dateline did a national special on 9-11 in our garden chapel here. Uh, uh, along with Sherry Adams from our church and maybe one or two others, Oprah had us on the show and interviewed us about um, our relationship with Jeff and what this loss meant uh, for, for us. Um, a photograph of one of the, of the prayer services we did at that time um, uh, that had me kind of praying, um, became, was picked up by the AP and went national and became one of the most familiar images around the country of what it meant, a nation that, grief, that was grieving. Um, and and I, I vividly remember one individual who showed up after 9-11 who walked up to me after one of the services and he was trembling. He was sweating and trembling. He was clearly a traumatized human being. And I said, are you okay? And he says, no, I'm not okay. And I said, what's going on? And he explained that he was the head of human resources for Cantor Fitzgerald and that he had placed many of those people in the top floors of the World Trade Center. And he felt this profound sense of guilt and loss like a few other people probably did. And I said to him, Chris, you keep coming here. You keep showing up here because this people will wrap their arms around you and we will walk with you. And there will be a day when you feel hope again. And for the next couple of years, he traveled with us. And, um, and I watched as God slowly rebuilt his heart and his perspective and his hope and he moved away and still drops me a note now and then 
This church becomes for people in times of trauma that safe place, that, uh, that place of hope and healing. Um, and if you're in that kind of a traumatic place for whatever reason, I hope and pray that you will let us know what's going on with you so we can walk with you in that way. I remember how our preaching agenda changed at that time, and I suddenly was tasked with explaining to everybody what jihad meant. And, and what were the differences between Islam and, and the Christian gospel? And how do we understand these things? And how do we relate to that? And God was our refuge and our strength in times of trouble during those days in a powerful, powerful way. And he, he let our church play this outsized role in helping people through that time and to make sense of that time. It's one of the great privileges we have as a church uh, and a church that's sort of a cathedral-like church is to be that place for people. I remember the, the national tumult when we then went into war in Iraq. And we had all kinds of discussions. I preached sermons about this. About, you know, what is a just war? And how do you tell if we have those circumstances at play here right now? And, and there was lots of special events and discussions about this. I, I think some of you who were around will remember how we labored together through the Great Recession. And, 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 and then a stream of events that have happened since that time. We've journeyed through hanging chads. We've been through contested elections. We, we have seen celebrity pastors, and many, many of them stumble and fall. We've beheld shooting and looting and demonstrations and debates that have divided people, that have broken our hearts, that have reminded us how desperately we all need a savior, how much we need a God who is God, who has a power beyond ourselves. Um, and so if you have been around for any portion of this past 25 years, then you'll know that, that, that we don't typically try and preach from the newspaper front page all the time. We, don't, we try not to follow all the different fads that are going on in the world. We, we think there are, there are eternal truths that we want to hold on to. We want the Bible to be the foundation of what it is that we pursue in terms of our agenda. But we don't shy away from asking, how does the Bible speak to these times? to these difficult and complicated times. So we've explored a whole lot of the tough topics of our day and grappled with what God has to say about these things because people matter to God and, and what's going on in the world does matter to God. Uh, and we do not always agree as a congregation about what is right and wrong, but we are united in the belief there is good and there is evil and we're desperately trying to be about the good and to follow Jesus and to do what Jesus would do as much as we can discern that. So here at Christ Church, um, sometimes when you come to this congregation, you, get, you, you hear things you don't like. I get that. I hear things I don't like from, from, from people in, in this church. But, but we are not the um, echo chamber community church. There are a lot of those kinds of churches out there. Well, you'll just hear one point of view, you know, and you can get comfy. Uh, just my people. That is not Christ church. That has never been Christ church. Dr. Kreider would tell you that if he were standing here. We have wanted to be a church that grappled with the polarities of our time, with the creative tensions of issues, uh, we have, we have, we've thought it's okay if we don't agree. It's all right if you don't like that. Let's keep talking about it. But let's, let's, not be, let's not kill each other. Let's not abandon each other. It's in this rich conversation that we grow and we get wiser together. 
We want to discover God's point of view. We're not red church. We're not a blue church. We're not any color church. We're trying to be a biblical church. We're trying to be a kingdom church. And, and we're trying to be a community of, of faith that, that is sort of like one of those groups that nor, nor aren't found in nature, where you have people, you have Republicans and, and Democrats, and you have black and white, and you have all of the mix because, you know, at the table of the king one day, it's going to be richly multi, multi. <laughs> and so we're starting now to get ready for, for what that will be. Um, anyway, I... I I don't know if I've mentioned that we also had this thing called COVID happen uh, in the last 25 years. <laughs> but um, a lot was needed from this congregation during COVID. The church needed to rise up in an important way during that time. I don't know if any of you remember those daily touch point episodes we put out for, the, for months. How like, you know, each weekday we tried to come out with some, some message of hope, some idea, something we could hang on to and that would connect us through, uh, through, through the internet together during that time. Uh, this congregation gave 8,000 masks away in the first weeks of, of COVID. Uh, people were, people were, were, couldn't find them and we, we managed to find them and our people found them and we gave them away. We, we gave away tons, literally tons of food and supplies to people who were struggling during those days. We, do any of you remember Outdoor Worship Wednesdays? We did those on both of our campuses. Uh, do you remember the temperature readers and the disinfectant misters and, and all of the check-in stuff and, and all of that? Do you, you will not perhaps know about the literally thousands of phone calls that our volunteers on our connection team made to the older members of our church just to check in, just to make sure they were okay, to find out if there was anything they needed um, during those days. I think of the amazing video productions put on by our children and, and student ministry teams. Um, uh, seriously, Fallon was challenged. He, they had competition, Fallon. I mean, our team did such an amazing job during um, that era. I remember how live stream suddenly became everybody's stream and how that actually now has prepared us to do uh, a different kind of ministry that, that can reach people wherever they happen to be. Um, God had a secret plan during COVID, I think. And, and the plan was that when, when we could no longer go to church, we might rise up and be the church in a fresh way. And we did, and we are, and, and, it's, a, and it's a good thing. So I'm going to close my ramblings here and just offer you a takeaway from this time if I can. If it feels like life is tumultuous to you right now, remember history. Remember history. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way. And remember how he's done this. Life has not been simple or steady over the past quarter century. We get nostalgic about the past. We think, oh, this, today's a, such a mess. I wish we could go back. No, it was a mess there too. Right? There are good times, quiet times, but there are messy times there too. We get some hallelujah heights in this life, and we get some devastating, depressing dips in this life. It's called life. This is what it's about. But as God met Moses in the wilderness, as God met Ruth during the time of great famine, as God met Elijah 
in his tremendous despair and discouragement, as God met Mary in her poverty and wondering, as God met Jesus in the agony of Gethsemane, our Heavenly Father is especially with us in the low places. And if you're in one of those places right now, if it feels pretty low, he is closer to you than your own heartbeat. He has not left you. Never will I leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. These low moments, they humble us, they inspire us to remember we're not gods, we're not the masters of the universe. We need help, all of us. They call us back to him to look for his word, for his spirit, for his people. And in this imperfect community of faith and followership that is the local church, we find the power and the perspective that we need to keep going, to keep getting up, to keep pressing on in life's journey. One of my very favorite verses in the Bible is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So students, maybe you're weary. Don't give up. Spouses, maybe you're weary in your marriage. Keep doing good. Maybe you're weary in your parenting. Maybe you're weary in your workplace. Maybe some friendship has wearied you. You will reap a harvest at the proper time if you do not give up, if you keep exercising that long obedience. And so for any of you who have been around for any portion of these past 25 years, including those who joined today and got something they didn't expect, I just want to say thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for enduring me for as however long as you have. Seriously. Thank you for your patience uh, with all of us. It has, it has been a privilege to serve here and to seek the Lord with you here. Uh, Amy and I would both want to say how thankful we are for your influence upon our boys, Rush, Cole, and Reed, uh, who still um, are blessed by their influence of this place. I want to close my comments today by just answering a question people asked me over a decade ago, and that is, why did you leave San Diego to come to the Midwest? And the answer is, because we fell in love with the heart of the people here. We liked, we liked 70 degree days in January, but when we got to know the people here, it, it, it won our hearts. And... Um, and what we began to discover is that what was written on the hearts of so many people here was this, was that we, not just a love for their worship services and their Bible studies and their fellowship gatherings, it, it, it was a love for what God had the church to do in the world. I don't know if you ever read the cornerstone of Christ Church. It's on our sanctuary in Oak Brook campus, and it's the words of Jesus, the call to go into all the world. And we met these people who's, who were passionate about going into all the world, into the neighborhoods, into the workplaces, into the corners of the earth, and to bring the life-changing love of Jesus there. And, and living in this resort community in San Diego, that frankly wasn't always the mindset. It is so much the mindset here. And, I, and we so admire it. And it is such a privilege for us to be part of it. 
So I hope you'll stay here if you've just started and see what the Lord may yet do. We're committed together in these next years to try and lift 10,000 people towards their God-given potential. And we have a plan for doing that. And we would love your help with moving in that direction. Let me just say in closing what I said at the start. Know, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So my question is, do you love him? Do you love him? Then let's joyfully join together afresh in pursuing his calling into the future and to the marvel of what his faithfulness is going to yet do. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for these amazing people, for your work in them and through them, and for what you've done through the life of Christ's church. Keep us faithful to you, Lord, you who have been so faithful to us, and may you receive all of the glory. Amen.